I've told you my pet cash story, haven't I? Remind me. I'm, it's vaguely in the back of my subconscious. <laughs> What's your pet cash story? I got introduced to pet cash through um, a mate and it was at the hi-fi bar and it was late and um, I was super excited because I used to have a, a mad crush on him because I was really into tennis when I was younger. And he got introduced to me and my friend said, Pat, this is this is Mafanwi. And he said back to me, he goes, oh, pleased to meet you, Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> So I stuck with it. So from here on in, a friend and I both call each other Beverly. So not a Beverly. Beverly. I love it though. I want to be a Beverly. Pleased to meet you, Beverly. Pleased to meet you, Beverly. Oh, that's good. Bang. 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 Bang on. Hello, Miff. Hello, Zan. How are you? I'm good. I'm always the richer for seeing you. Don't you love when people say that? I feel richer for seeing you or all the better for seeing you. Makes me feel good inside. Does it? I sort of think of the three wise men coming with their gold, frankincense and myrrh when you say I feel richer for seeing you. (laughs) It's it's weird. (laughs) That's a weird Some Old Testament shit. Oh, wait, is that New Testament? Who knows? I haven't been to church in a while. (laughs) It's been a long time. It's been a long time. long time. Um, Speaking of holy figures, though, very excited that Dolly Parton is back in the news cycle. She's Mm. been speaking out on Black Lives Matter this week. Yeah, and look... If there was any kind of religion that I would ever join, it would be the it would be the cult or the religion of Dolly Parton. Dolly, oh, yeah. though, is notoriously a apolitical, so this is a really interesting one. She's finally spoken out in support of Black Lives Matter, which is wonderful. It's but it's considered a rare comment for her on politics, and she told Billboard magazine in a recent interview, "Do we think our little white asses are the only ones that matter?" No, and uh, she also went on to talk about dropping the word Dixie from her Dixie Stampede attraction, which is at Dollywood, her theme park, Mm. which I am yet to visit, but that's on the list, the dream list if we ever get out of stage four lockdown to have a holiday overseas. (laughs) Yeah, it's the pilgrimage. Um, uh, Apparently uh, Dixie, which I wasn't aware of, was often, well, it was used as a nickname for the southern states, which was made up of the Confederate States of America during the Civil War. So it obviously has uh, links to slavery and quite negative connotations for many, many people. And, And she was really good about it then when this all happened. She said, there's such a thing as innocent ignorance and so many of us are guilty of that. When they said Dixie was an offensive word, I thought, well, I don't want to offend anybody. This is a business. We'll just call it the stampede. As soon as you realise that something is a problem, you should fix it. Don't be a dumbass. That's where my heart is. I would never dream of hurting anybody on purpose. Oh, I love her. The pragmatist as well. It's interesting yeah. to see her be a bit more outspoken. We've seen Taylor Swift do this as well in the last couple of years where she's never before mm. spoken about her politics and, you know, clearly to not upset that, uh, you know, more conservative base that she has in terms of her fan base. And she's completely changed that in, in recent years. But this reminded me of the conversations around that awesome podcast that came out at the end of last year. And because we had such a big break mm. and I was away overseas for a while, we never got the chance to talk about it. Did you listen to Dolly Parton's America? I did, I did, and it was it was gorgeous, and it it really spoke to me in terms of how I see Dolly Parton and and the and the the broader the broader world that she creates. It's not just the big hair, the big boobs, the one liners, the funny, the funny Dolly, the talented Dolly, the songs Dolly. It's it's about a a, 
a person in America who exists who is far more complex and inspiring than perhaps anyone really knew. And I loved it. That was really good to hear, actually. Do you think that because she didn't take a stand on anything really directly that that enabled her to be a hero for so many different people? There was subtleties in her work, but mm. she never she never had binary politics. She was always, you know, she could be so many different things to so many different people and particularly to people who felt marginalised. They saw something in her mm. that they, you know, identified with. Do you think that's why it was such a success and she's connected so well over so many years. Absolutely, but I also think this could be seen as a negative in that she, in that by saying nothing and embracing everything, uh, that perhaps she hasn't used her voice. But maybe this is her time now, where she can use that voice. She has the trust of America. She has the broad reach of an audience that feels connected to her. And maybe she's decided, stuff it. I'll use it now, and that's quite powerful or a powerful moment for Dolly? I hope so. One of the things that I really loved about that podcast when I listened to it was this sense of not only her connecting with so many different people from different backgrounds, but also that she, you know, you went to a Dolly Parton concert and there were people who would normally have, you know, um, culturally or politically would clash and yet they were all unified around Dolly and they'd be side by side. And I really saw that when Dolly Parton toured a few years ago when she played those winery shows. I saw her in the Hunter Valley, one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. And, yeah, it was the most diverse audience I've ever seen and everybody was yeah. just having a ball, getting along, and it was almost this kind of, you know, it, it's cap it's captured as well in the podcast as this utopian world where we can all get along. And that, and that theme of unity of, of people coming together from all over, you know, the, the geographical and, and political map is something that I've really seen as the big pushing point of the Democratic National mm. Convention this week, which is, you know, it's obviously American politics, but it's going to have an impact worldwide. And the DNC has been going on this week. It's all been kind of remote. Uh, there's been all kinds of uh, endorsement speeches and different mm. celebrities getting up and everyday Americans getting up. But this idea of unity seems to be such a strong theme and in direct response to the, you know, the concept of division and this push to division that Trump has been touting over the last really three years or so. Have you been watching any of the stuff that's been going down online for the DNC this week? I've seen a little bit. I haven't seen a whole heap, but um, I think it's wonderful that, that unity is becoming a theme. And when it comes to things like Black Lives Matter and having a spokesperson like Dolly Parton speak out on it, it really points to the fact that this is not a political issue. Mm. It's a humanitarian issue and um, and if some of the best people are speaking out and standing up and wanting to promote unity, then wake up for the rest of them, I'd say. Like it's... It's horrible. Like The more I think about it, it's horrible that we find ourselves in this situation where all of a sudden caring about black lives is a political issue. Like mm. it's that astounds me, absolutely astounds me. So I'm really thankful that this has become um, a topic of conversation, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I'm fingers crossed. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe one day it'll stop being political. That issue of black inequality in America was one of the things that Cardi B raised with Joe Biden too. Look what's happening right now. You see why we should have been having Medicare for a long time. I, of course, think that we need a uh, free college education. That's second. And I want black people to stop getting killed and no justice for it. I'm tired of it. 
I saw this interview earlier this week that I think that she did for Elle Magazine's YouTube, Cardi B interviewing Joe Biden over 15 minutes. <laughs> and it's just so good. I mean, she's done this before and anybody who follows her social media knows that she's yeah. incredibly outspoken politically. She has real questions. She, she grew up in a very poor household. She speaks to Joe about how she basically went to school without lunch many days. Mm. And I just love that, you know, I, first of all, I feel like he's benefiting way more than she is from this conversation because everybody is talking about Cardi this week. But I love that she's getting to to ask him directly about questions and there's just kind of no fucks given in all, her, in all of her questions. She keeps talking over him half the time. It's amazing. I know. I know. I loved it. I, I watched it and I was amazed at um, how relaxed Joe Biden actually seemed with someone like Cardi B, you know. Um, they, they seem to be from polar opposite worlds. And, and I think that that was a bonus, that, that he actually looked quite comfortable because um, I can't imagine Donald Trump being particularly comfortable talking to somebody like Cardi B or who knows, who knows actually. Um, but I also loved uh, there's a part of it where she, a little bit of Cardi B comes in where she's having a chat and then she has a think and then she does it. Did you see that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, Joe Biden's not going to get this kind of interview again, probably, on any kind of television network or or news network, anyone that, that in, interjects a conversation with a... <laughs> <laughs> and just those, also her nails, just like in the front and centre of every I shot, know. just those insane nails. So She's so good. good. I love so her. Good. Yep. It's been a big, I think that with the Democrats in particular, there's a lot of celebrities cashing in. You're certainly probably not going to see a whole bunch of... Um, cool musicians playing at the Republican National Convention. You know, yet to be seen. I'm sure Kid Rock will pop up, but whether, you know, depending on your tastes, it depends on who's going to be playing. But um, Cher, who is very, also very outspoken on Twitter, also piped up just in the last day. Oh, my God. This is oh, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't she wonderful? Well, the Postal Service is under threat in America. Well, we, we, don't, we probably don't need to go into the politics of that. Cher has said that she will help them out if they're struggling and they need more people for postal votes, she said on Twitter, can people volunteer at the post office? Next tweet. And she's great on Twitter. No, 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 I'm, I'm no kidding. Could I volunteer at my post office? Question mark. Is no one going to help me with post office? Questioning phase. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's all, you've got to really specify it's in all caps at this point. She's going the all, all caps, caps tweets. She's, yeah, she's yelling. Yeah. And so she's actually then gone on to tweet, okay, called two post offices in Malibu. They were polite. I said, hi, this is Cher. I would like to know if you ever take volunteers. There's a pause. Um, hi, this is Cher. Can you imagine getting that call at the post office? <laughs> <laughs> um, but they said, no, she, she's then tweeted that there's no need because um, they don't accept volunteers and she's she's been stumped at that point. But I still actually feel like she wants to work at the post office just to but help only- out to make sure the votes get through. Only if she gives them a fingerprint and background check, background <laughs> check on share <laughs> to make sure she's not going to commit any mail fraud while she's working oh there. Oh, my God. I love this. It's all yeah. hands on deck. Cher's even lobbing in. I love it. Well, from Cher to the Australian media, um, interesting report coming through this week on, I guess, kind of an audit on cultural diversity in the Australian media. What did we find? And, and who actually commissioned this report, Miff? 
Mm, uh, this was commissioned by Media Diversity Australia and the results came out. They did a survey of the cultural makeup of Australia's television news and current affairs programs. And this was done, I think, back in 2019. They analysed 81 news programs over two weeks and uh, it was approximately about 19,000 news and current affairs items across free-to-air television. So this was, this was to look at what the levels of diversity are here in Australia. And um, let's just say I wasn't surprised at all by this and I don't think anyone was because we know how bad diversity in Australian media, particularly news media, is um, and, and the implications of that. But the, the results were, were quite shocking if, if, you, if you're new to this. Commentators are, are predominantly an Anglo-Celtic background, presenters as well. They summed it up by saying employers need to do more to ensure newsrooms are more reflective of Australian society and uh, basically that's it, they need to do more. Only 6% of reporters, presenters and commentators had either an Indigenous or non-European background with more than 75% being of Anglo-Celtic background. And of course, SBS was the exception to the rule with 76.6% of on-air reporters and commentators of non-European background. And I think that number actually boosted the overall number of presenters. So in actual fact, it's it's even less. It's quite shocking, actually. Um, and what's really more distressing is that uh, both Channel 9 and Channel 7, the directors of news and current affairs, have come out and said that, well, they've questioned the the methodology of that report. Um, The Channel 9 news director said, I don't think simply counting surnames on TV is an effective way of addressing the issue or helps in finding practical solutions to these challenges. Um, And Channel 7 said the problem is with the supply chain. Uh, They said that um, it's not unconscious bias stopping bosses from hiring. For the past 30 years, the pathways into journalism is predominantly through uni courses and training. It would be far more beneficial to the industry to explore what is or isn't occurring in our high-priced university system. I get that, but that's just passing the buck. It is really? passing the buck. I think that it's a bit like it, but it does speak to a larger ecology of what's happening. And I think mm. this is a really weird analogy, but I'll say it anyway. Often music festivals get slammed for the diversity on their lineups, but that's the end of the road for something that is built for an artist to be booked there. You know, it's about mm. the artist getting access to training and instruments and then radio play and then signing and then an audience. And then at the end of that, if they've got the audience, they get booked on a festival. Like I know this is a super simplistic example um, and explanation but I do I see that I see that kind of um, that ecology and I've seen a couple of other people from media diversity speak about that about there are barriers for people of color people Mm. of ethnically diverse backgrounds into getting into certain places where they're able to have those opportunities whether through training or contacts what I would really like to see though is I'm interested that this report was commissioned in 2019 and I like you was really shocked um, by the numbers, but not surprised at the same time. Yeah. But I think just seeing those stark numbers, you're just like, well, particularly for the ABC where I work, and I'm like, hang on a minute, we can do a lot better here. There's been, it feels like, at least on the surface to me, there has been a cultural conversation and a shift, particularly mm. in the last couple of months since the Black Lives Matter uh, protests in the States and in Australia. Mm. And I would be really interested to see if that, um, 
if we were walking the walk as well as talking the talk. So if another report is commissioned in the next couple of months to see just how much has changed, that's what I'm really keen to see as well because there's been a lot of discussion about keeping your pedal, you know, the pedal on the gas and keeping these discussions um, in the public conversation. But a lot of those posts that are going on social media have obviously died down. The news cycle has moved on. So is there actually change being enacted? And the media, in that you can be what you can see, in that who tells the stories of our country, is at the forefront of that. So I'd be really interested to see what are the actual changes that have shifted since the most recent cultural events and conversations that have been happening. But I guess we'll find that out, won't we? Hopefully. Hopefully they're doing these 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 reports every every year at least. Mm, I would too. I'd be interested to see what the changes are, but doesn't that actually suggest that the news organisations have actually done some work in making changes within the organisation? So by passing the buck to the supply chain, which is the universities, and the fact that, that it's mostly wealthy white kids that get to go and study journalism, by passing the buck it suggests that but they have made changes recently. Mm, mm. So, you know, like it just weakens their argument significantly. If that's the case, if they have made changes recently and it is different to 2019, then these organisations have finally made an effort, which suggests they can't go blaming the supply chain. Well, yeah, it speaks, doesn't it, to that, just that uncomfortability with having the tough conversations of going, yeah, okay, mm. this is the problem and this is what we're going to do. Um, mm. Yeah, I totally take your point. And within the ABC, you know, you and I have actually have noticed there's been significant e- effort in the last year to ensure that the workplace is a more diverse workplace. It doesn't Mm. necessarily mean that it's changing quickly, but it it does happen within organisations and it can happen. And to say that it's not, to me, seems... Or that that they can't because of the supply chain seems just lazy. Patiently waiting for someone I ain't never seen before to say he's a captain of men, but they believe in our love. From the land of the white skin, he's self-righteous, a murder without license. Oh, what's that little bit of music, Zan? What, what are you banging on about this week? This is one of the beautiful new songs, new song lines that appears in a documentary, which if you're listening to Bang On on Thursday when we record it, you can watch tonight on NITV. I'm pretty sure it'll be on SBS On Demand after tonight if you're listening later. It's called Looky, Looky, Here Comes Cookie, which is one of the great <laughs> doco titles I've heard in recent that's times. Um, that's the sounds of Birds, uh, local MC, teaming up with the amazing voice of Fred Leone on a new song that they put together for this doco. And it's called that because it's about Captain Cook. It's the 250th anniversary of the arrival of Cook on Australian shores, which obviously changed everything for some people. Uh, it was a great thing for other people. It was the start of the end. It was the beginning of a lot of violence and a lot of loss. And I think that, you know, as we both know, Miff, growing up, particularly in the 80s, going to school, like, you know, we were taught one version of Australian history and really not taught that much of our Indigenous history, which stretches back way more than the 200-odd years years um, since Cook arrived. So this is a new perspective on a very old story and it's just so beautifully done. Stephen Oliver is the kind of host that guides you through it. He has conversations with a bunch of musicians who are writing these new song lines. Um, so Birds is on it, Alice Skye, Moju and a handful of other people. 
Um, but then he also talks to a whole bunch of historians, people who work in national parks, people who know the history and have heard the stories of Cook's arrival that have been handed down through generations, um, you know, in song lines, uh, in, you know, oral history and a very different sort of perspective on what happened when Cook arrived in the various places, um, what actually went down in terms of whether or not he was here to discover Australia by accident, it was just a mistake, or whether he was here to actually conquer. So it's really interesting. It's beautifully done. There's cinematography on it. It's stunning. Um, and there's just great music all through it. So it's on tonight oh, on yeah. NITV and, um, yeah, or otherwise it's on SBS On Demand. Looky, looky, here comes Cookie. Well worth a watch. I really loved it. Oh, can I just say, NITV is killing it at the moment as well. Um, their news programs are fabulous and it, it's just, if you want to tap into a different perspective and a more diverse perspective, it's worth checking in with every now and then. But also want to note, there's an excellent Bobby Brown drama based on the life of Bobby Brown at the moment that's been screening on NITV, which oh, I enjoyed wow. immensely. <laughs> yeah, it's like a tele-series, a mini-series. Um, so that's cool. I love checking in with, with, with NITV. So, um, yeah. What are you banging on about this week? Oh, um, I'm banging on about a new series that seems to be on the top ten list of, of Netflix uh, as one of the most popular programs, and lots of people have been talking about it of late, Indian Matchmaking, Sam. Yes. I haven't watched this yet, but I see everybody mm. loves it who watches it. It, look, it's a combination of the two, um, and me not being of Indian descent, I don't, I do not know the complexities of of Indian society, and this program deals in a world that seems uh, completely controversial within a Western context uh, because it deals with arranged marriages in India, but not just in India, in America, with uh, young young people in America who want to be matched with. Um, people of, of their similar similar culture. There's a lot of things in it that, that make you feel quite uncomfortable um, and a lot of uh, it's copped a lot of criticism from within the Indian community. Some have said it simply confirms what they already knew about the casteism, the sexism, the colorism and the classism of arranged marriages. Mm. And from an outsider's perspective, all of this stuff is actually quite shocking. Um, so it is it is a it is a difficult watch in parts because it, I was quite shocked at, in particular, the, the colourism and the classism of the process. People tend to want to marry or their families want them to marry within a certain caste um, and therefore skin colour and height and body type is is really important. Um, so, I, I, look, I learnt a lot. I was, I was shocked by a lot and I can't say I agree with the process necessarily but that's got nothing to do with me. What's interesting is I'm finally seeing people looking for love, whether it be arranged or, or the other term, which is a love marriage, people looking for love in the same way that we are bombarded with The Bachelor, which to me also seems quite archaic and um, quite regressive. All of those things, and yet I still watch it and I still really enjoy it. And it's really nice to see people finding love or uh, something that makes them happy or something that they they eventually choose. No one in this in this reality series seems to be forced into any kind of arranged marriage. It's not that. Um, and it's quite beautiful in parts and it's really sad and you get really into the people who are being portrayed on screen. And, yeah, it's really lovely. So it's it's complex. It's for someone like me who's quite ignorant of all of these systems. It's it's quite educational. Um, 
I don't necessarily agree with arranged marriages, but I certainly learnt a lot. And yeah, it's fascinating. Do give it a watch. It's on Netflix. Awesome. All right. Well, back into my house pants then. Like I ever yeah, took I them off. Actually, I'm wearing <laughs> active wear today. You are wearing active wear. Well done. Have <laughs> and you I'm been active get, though? No, I will be active. I will eventually <laughs> be active. I've been trying to, I've been, I've got a new like fitness watch and I've been trying to hit the 10K every day. The system mm. works. I've been hitting that 10K. It's great. Yeah. Good on you. Well done. <laughs> 10 k's is a lot good on you leaving the house for yeah, one hour a day what else is there what else is there oh, we'll always Should have I bang on i'll see you next yeah. week see you next week thank god we've got bang on because there's not much else <laughs> bang 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 on Oh, can I tell you, this yes. is the worst. This morning, this is how I woke up bright and early. I hear a little rustle, rustle, rustle on the, out in the lounge room. And I'm like, oh, what's Vivian doing? She's up to something. Anyway, see, Steve's been quite unwell, the cat. Um, mm. And I've come out. He's shat on the rug. <laughs> she's found it. She's, no. rubbed, she's rubbed herself in it on the perfume oh. spots where dogs like to rub. And then when we sussed this out, going, Vivian, what are you up to? She's come in and visited me in bed. No, no. Catch it on her. Catch it. Yeah, it's oh, been a good morning. Motherhood is tough, isn't it? it motherhood is tough. Is tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there you go. That's how my day started today.